Thank you. <clears throat> Thanks, DP. Thanks, Josh. Thank you all. Can I, can I start by actually saying a few thank yous? I, uh, as Derek just said, I have been uh, away for 10 weeks on a sabbatical to, uh, to do some study and to allow God to restore and refresh me for the future. I'm really, really appreciative. I'm really thankful uh, for what God's done in my life, but I'm also really thankful for everyone who's allowed it to happen. So I firstly really want to thank our board of elders who made me uh, do this. I was supposed to do it two years ago and it just uh, wasn't going to fit in my mind. And uh, I probably would have kept finding excuses uh, not to do it, but they put their foot down this year and said, you must uh, go and do this. So uh, I'm really thankful for them for just the, the care that they have of, uh, of me and, uh, and the, the desire they have me to keep growing and uh, being refreshed in God. So big thank you to the Board of Elders. Big thank you to our whole ministry team some of whom you just saw uh, up here. I, I really, for the last 10 weeks, I have been able to uh, switch off from uh, leading this church and just to allow God to do some things in me because I was absolutely confident that uh, there's some great leaders in place here that continue to serve God, that God's called to be here and uh, God was just going to continue to bless uh, the church uh, through their ministry. So big thank you to our whole uh, ministry team and big thank you to all of you. Uh, before I went on sabbatical, everyone was so encouraging and uh, just really wanted to see God bless me. I want to thank you for that. People I've bumped into over the last few weeks have just uh, let me know how much they're praying for me and looking forward uh, to me coming back. So I want to say a big thank you to all of you for your generosity and grace. Can we just put our hands together for everyone? Thank everybody. There were three key things that I was uh, uh, doing while I was away. Uh, firstly, for the first three weeks, Susan and I uh, went to three different uh, leadership and ministry conferences uh, around the States, uh, United States, and visited nine different churches and met with some uh, pastors and, and ministry teams, and uh, that was awesome. We just uh, we heard some great Bible teaching. We listened to some inspiring leaders, and even just a few days in, we were just feeling filled back up. It was great to uh, just have others speaking uh, into our lives. We went to churches that were reaching tens of thousands of people and had uh, kids and youth facilities better than Disneyland and car parks bigger than Movie World and just seeing what it takes to, to reach you know, bigger and bigger uh, groups of people. But most importantly, you know, God really uh, just stirred our faith and enlarged our vision for the future. And uh, we're really blessed uh, by that time. Uh, I spent some time working on my uh, master's degree that I've been working on. I've done some work towards uh, a research subject I'm doing on leading the large Australian multi-campus church. And uh, I completed a subject that was a real blessing to me uh, called Leading from Deep Places. And it was an awesome opportunity for me to be able to reflect on, on my leadership and what God's done in me in the last 10 years of uh, being senior pastor here at Gateway. And uh, I, uh, I was just, I, there's just so much gratitude in my heart, just the privilege of being called to lead this church and so, so privileged to have seen God bless us and uh, at work in the life of our church in so many ways. I just, uh, just realized I've been so blessed and uh, we've been so blessed uh, as a church I also looked at, you know, as I started to think about the next 10 years, I realized that, you know, I couldn't lead the next 10 years in the same way I've led the last 10 years. I, I've realized there's a cost to relationships that uh, has been greater than it should have been. Uh, a cost to relationships with family, with uh, close friends, and, uh, and, and to be honest, uh, a cost to my relationship with God and just intimacy with God. And I've been really challenged and convicted that that has to change into the future. And I've looked at some uh, ways, and there'll be an ongoing conversation with the Board of Elders over the next little while to, uh, to just kind of re, uh, reimagine some of the ways that, that I lead and personally just some of my own personal work habits. And I've come back really excited, 
really hopeful uh, that that is possible and really excited about, if given the opportunity, leading the church for the next 10 years. So uh, that was a, a really uh, exciting uh, part of the journey. And then lastly, there was some uh, time for spiritual retreat and writing a book that has been on my heart for 12 years. For 12 years, I've had this dream to write a book for unchurched Aussie blokes, introducing them to Jesus. I'm absolutely convinced that most Aussie blokes would like Jesus if they met him. They just haven't been introduced to him very well yet. And so it's not a book that will win any arguments, but it's a book that puts a spotlight on Jesus in, I think, a uniquely Australian way. And I must admit, after 12 years of it sitting in my heart and not becoming fruition and uh, heading into sabbatical, I was actually really nervous. I wasn't sure I was capable of doing this. And, uh, but I thought, I'll give it my best go. And God has been very, very gracious to me. And uh, I actually sent the final version to an editor about two weeks ago who's agreed to edit it. He's been very encouraging. And he starts work on it tomorrow. And it should all be ready to print early in the new year. So I'm pretty... Uh I am pretty excited about that, and I'm looking forward to how God uh, might be able to use it. But this, this, for me, has been a season of restoration. I'm going to share a little bit of some of the things that God has restored in me personally, but I also believe that, that God is wanting to do a restoring work in us as a church and I'm going to preach into that over the next uh, couple of months. But uh, today, I just want to just get maybe just a little taste test of some of the restoring work that I believe that, that God wants to do and He is doing in me. I mean, we all love seeing things, you know, get restored. You know, there's all sorts of products on the market that are sold to us that if you just buy this product, you'll be able to restore what is old and broken and weary and make it new again. And I feel like that's the word that God has given me coming back. It's not just a word for me personally, but a word for us as a church that God is saying, you know, I will take what is old and broken and weary and I will make it new again. You know, we, we love to restore broken things that, that we've made. You know, if you've got an old car, you know, looking a little bit like this one, you know, you, you're told that if you buy this certain product and put in a little bit of blood, sweat and tears, you can eventually restore it and make it, you know, look like this. You know, it's a miracle. It's a miracle what you can do, you know, with this stuff. You know, in the next couple of months, all over our TV screens, you know, there'll be, there'll be photos of how you can restore... You know, your house, if your house is looking a little bit uh, like this, you can buy a little bit of Four Seasons paint that restores weathered and aged timber. And just a couple of coats of this gear, and you can have your house, you know, looking a little bit like this. Just takes a special product and a little bit of blood, sweat and tears. And even there's stuff for senior pastors going on sabbatical. This is my pre-sabbatical photo shot. So the day before I left, and I I thought, you know, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to restore a bit of the way that I look. And so I went through Susan's beauty products and, uh, you know, I found some Skintastic and it says it restores old and wrinkly skin. I'm not sure why Susan's using it, but uh, that's what it does. So I kind of used a bit of that every day. And then I found some restorative hair mask. You know, have you noticed I've got a bit more hair than normal? You know, well, I haven't been to Ashley and Martin. I've just restored the hair that I've, uh, I've got. It says, for weakened and damaged hair, this will restore it. It says, the reconstructive formula, rich in organ oil, whatever that is, and vegetable protein, I tell you, it'd be a whole lot cheaper just to rub some carrots into my head, nourishes deeply to rebuild hair strength and restore elasticity. So after using these products every day, you know, this is what I look like now, coming back from sabbatical. It, it works wonders. Yeah, you know, it'd be nice if there was just a miracle product that could just, you know, restore what is old and broken and weary within us. Now, what I think we all know is true when we stop and think about it is, is that we are able to restore what we have made. 
man and woman is able to restore what man and woman has made. We, we can restore old cars and old houses and all sorts of other old things that we've made. But only God can restore what God has made. Only God can restore what God has started. And so if there's dreams and visions within you that have begun with a word of God but have started dying, only God can restore those dreams. If there's, if there's a heart within you that started just with incredible joy at being saved by God and called to be his child, but you've ended up with a hard heart, a bitter heart, a, resent, a heart that's full of resentment, only God can restore our hearts. If there's joy that's just started to fade away, this the joy of knowing Jesus and, and living for him is fading within you. It's only God that can restore joy. Let, let me just share a few things that I feel like God has restored within me over the last uh, few months. And I, I think there's some similar things that God wants to restore in us as a church. Firstly, I'd say God has restored a childlike dependence on prayer. I've just been reminded how God, the mighty God of the universe, is a good dad. He loves to bless his kids. He doesn't want any of his kids to miss out. He loves to give good gifts to his kids. Matthew chapter 7, when Jesus is teaching on, on prayer, you know, he says, you know, uh, if your son, you know, uh, asks for bread, you're not going to give him a stone. If he, if he asks for a fish, you're not going to give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? Everyone say, how much more? How much more? Will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? When Jesus is teaching on prayer, he said, makes it really simple. It's just like a dependent child talking to a loving dad. It's just like talking to your dad. The way that we live out this, this childlike dependence on our loving Heavenly Father is through simple, heartfelt prayer. It's just like talking to your dad. And what God has been doing in me is teaching me again to pray like a son and not a servant. To pray like a son and not a servant. You know, Jesus, Jesus makes up a story, you know, to talk about the worst son in the history of the world. We call it the parable of the prodigal son. It really should be called the parable of the worst son in the history of the world. You know, it's a bad son. You know, you might think you've been a bad son at times. Your father's not too happy with you. You know, I remember the day I drove my dad's four-wheel drive into the Pacific Ocean. He didn't have words to express how he felt about me. But I could see it in his eyes. You know, the day I rolled his four-wheel drive down the Hume Highway and rode it off, I was glad he couldn't express how he felt about me. He was, at the time, he was on the other side of the world. I wanted him to stay there forever. Back then, he sent me a fax. It wasn't a good fax. You know, I remember the day when my, my, my son was really young and he thought it'd be funny to wake me up by brushing my teeth with a dirty toilet brush. You know, at that point, I, I didn't think he was a real good son. But this story that Jesus is making up, he's saying, I want you to imagine the worst son in the history of the world. It's, it's like a son who goes to his dad and says, Dad, I wish you were dead because I want all your money. And he takes his dad's hard-earned money, what he's worked all his life for. He takes his hard-earned money and he wastes a whole lot on wine, women, and every other wasteful extravagance he can get his hands on until he's got none of it left. It's all gone. And he finds himself at, you know, at dire straits, you know, accepting a job in a piggery, eating and sleeping and living with pigs. No good Jewish son would ever do that. It's the point of the whole story. He's not a good Jewish son. He's the worst son in history. And as he's sitting there and the pig's thinking, oh man, if I could just be back as a servant in my dad's household, it'd be even better. And so he says to himself, he says, I'll go back 
and I'll ask my dad if I can be a servant. See, already he doesn't see himself as a son. He now sees himself as a servant. And he measures what he can ask for from his father according to his level of behavior. He measures what he thinks he can receive from his father according to what he's done. He sees himself as a servant. And so what he's willing to ask for is measured. It's measured by what he's done. But as he turns and he, he heads for home, you know, the father you know, sees him in the distance. Let's just read a little bit of Luke chapter 15. And it says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and he was filled with compassion for him. He was filled with love for the worst son in the history of the world. He ran to his son, threw his arms around him and kissed him. The father said to his servants, quick, bring the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate for this son of mine was dead and he's alive again. He was lost and he's found. In this story, when Jesus is trying to teach his first followers and he's trying to teach people like us what our Father in heaven is like, this is the story he make up, makes up. And he says, he says he's, a, he's a father that holds nothing back. He holds nothing back from the worst son in the history of the world. He puts the best robe on him, puts the family ring back on his finger. He'd adopted him back into the family. He's reinstated as a son. He doesn't want his son to miss out. You have a father in heaven who does not want you to miss out. It doesn't matter how well you've performed. It doesn't matter how well you've behaved. See, if you are measuring what you can receive in prayer, you're praying like a servant, not a son. You see, a servant measures what they deserve to receive. But a son who really knows the Father and understands their place as a son expects a blessing. A servant measures what they deserve to receive, but a son expects a blessing. The older son hears about this party that's going on, and he's ripped off. He's not happy. He's outside. He's kicking dirt. He's spitting. He's having a big tantrum. And he says, he says to his father, you know, I have been slaving for you. For years I've been slaving for you, and you've not given me anything to celebrate. You see, even the older son, and there's some of you here that would identify more with the older son than the younger son. You, you've been good. You've done the right thing. Even the older son sees himself as a slave. He sees himself as a servant. The, the good son is measuring what he thinks he should receive according to what he's done. I've been slaving for you, and you're not giving me anything. Listen to the father's reply. He says, son, you are always with me and everything I have is yours. I want to ask you, do you believe that this morning? Do you believe that this morning? That you have a father in heaven who is always with you and everything in heaven is yours. Do you believe that this morning? When Jesus is teaching his disciples to pray, he says, pray like this, Dad in heaven, you're holy, you're awesome. May your kingdom come, your, your, your power come, your authority come from, from heaven to earth. Your will be done. Your power in heaven, may it be done on earth. Do you believe that you have a Father who is always with you and everything in heaven is yours. You now God's been restoring in me a childlike dependence on prayer, learning to pray like a son and not a servant. A servant measures what they deserve to receive. A son expects a blessing. A servant inquires of the boss when the work or the situation requires of it. But a son simply enjoys the presence of the father always. 
I look back over my prayers. I read back through my prayer journal. There's lots, they're good prayers, don't get me wrong. But the majority of my prayers are praying, God, help me with this job I've got to do. God, help me in this situation I'm in. It's a desperate prayer saying, God, I need your help. But somewhere along the way, I've, I've forgotten just to pray like a son and just to enjoy my father's presence, whatever the situation. You see, a servant measures what they deserve to receive, but a son expects a blessing. And a servant inquires of the boss when the work or the situation requires of it, but a son or a daughter just enjoys the Father's presence in every situation. You're praying like a son or you're praying like a servant. You see, God does give us a job to do, but it's not the basis of our relationship with God and it's not the reason. This is the bit I think we've got to get. It's not the reason that God chooses to bless us. You see, in Matthew chapter 20, there's a story, and it's one of the, the few stories that, where Jesus actually compares his Father in heaven to a boss who's calling people to work for him. And it's actually the most countercultural parable that I think in our culture today is that Jesus tells. The boss comes out early in the morning as the sun comes up. He's got jobs to do and he needs to find some workers to do it. And so he goes into the marketplace and he finds Pastor Helen because Pastor Helen is a, is a good old country girl. You know, she's, uh, she gets up early to break, bake bread for her husband and to uh, get his lunch ready. And once she's done all that before the sun comes up, she's ready to work. And so she's out there in the marketplace and the boss comes along and says, Helen... Would you, would you like to work for me for the day? I'll give you a hundred bucks. And she says, yeah, you beauty. I love work and it's more than what Gateway pays me. So I'll do it. And so she signs up for a day's work for a hundred bucks. And then there's still more work to do. And as hard as Helen works, she, she can't get it all done. So at nine o'clock, the boss goes back into the streets looking for some more workers. And by nine o'clock, finds Susan there. Because Susan loves to sleep in. She's not up at six o'clock. She's not baking bread for her husband. She hasn't made her, her husband lunch more than three times in the last 23 years. But... But the good bit is, I made a rule years ago that whoever's last out of bed has to make the bed. I haven't made the bed for 23 years. But, uh, you know, Susan's finally out of bed. She's, she's there at, at nine o'clock and, uh, and boss comes along and says, you want to come and work for me? She says, yeah, I do. And so she joins the team. Her and Helen are slaving away in the hot sun. Gets to lunchtime, more work to do. The two of them together can't, can't uh, get, it, get it all done. And so wanders back out at lunchtime and Mark Dean has finally put his guitar down. He's just been wandering around in wonder, love and praise, singing tunes and he decides it's finally time to do some work. And so at lunchtime comes to Mark and says, Mark, will you join the team? And uh, he says, yeah, right now, I guess I will. Do I have to leave my guitar behind? He says, yes, you do. Anyway, he comes and, and he starts to work. There's three of them working hard. Gets to four o'clock in the afternoon. There's an hour left in the day. There's still more work to be done. They're not going to get it all done. Boss goes back at four o'clock. Finally, he finds Derek Peters. I don't know why you're laughing. <laughs> now, Derek Peters, he, he thinks that manual labor is a Mexican soccer player. And, you know, he's kind of four o'clock. Four o'clock. He says, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll give you an hour. And uh, he joins the team, you know, uh, for an hour. And at the end of the day, comes, the boss comes around and starts handing out money and, and goes to Derek first and gives Derek a hundred bucks. And Helen's thinking, you're a beauty. She's doing sums in her head. She's thinking, Derek, it's a hundred. I've worked all, lazy bludgers work for an hour. You know, I've, I've worked all day. What am I going to get? And then and, uh, Mark comes along. He gets a hundred bucks. Susan gets a hundred bucks. By this stage, Helen is chucking a tanty. You know, she, she does it a lot here at work, but she's spinning. She's kicking the dirt. She's blowing up something supreme. You know, I have worked all day. And I get the same reward as all these other bludgers. And in this story, the boss says, that's what I'm like. I'm generous. I love to bless everybody. I love to give to everybody. That's how generous I am. 
It's not about how much you do or how, you, how hard you work. My nature is to bless and to be generous. That's the God we pray to. I want to ask you this morning, are you praying like a son or a daughter of a father who loves you and loves to bless? Or are you praying like a servant who measures out what you deserve to receive and just calling out for help when the work requires it? Or are you expecting a blessing from a father who loves you and you're just enjoying his presence whatever the situation? I believe God wants to restore in us as a church a childlike dependence on prayer. Secondly, he's been restoring in me and it's my prayer for our church, a hunger for the presence of God. The little thing I'm going to stick on my desk somewhere to remind me is that hard work is important and pragmatism works, but nothing compares to the presence of God. Hard work is important. I'm grateful to have grown up in a family that values hard work. My dad worked really hard. My grandfather worked really hard. He had a saying. I, can rem- I must have heard it a hundred times. When he saw someone that was lazy, he'd say, I wouldn't feed the lazy coot. You know, I wouldn't even give him bread. You know, for him, laziness was, was kind of worse than murder and adultery. It's kind of like you just didn't do it. And that's kind of the family I grew up in. I'm very thankful well, I've still got no idea what a coot is, but they were lazy, whatever they were. And, uh, you know, I've, I've naturally just, my, my, my natural instinct is to work harder to achieve more. That's just naturally the way I'm wired. And I'm naturally pragmatic. What, what I've realized in the last couple of months, I've relied too much on hard work and I've become far too pragmatic. I've been challenged to prioritize the presence of God, to hunger after the presence of God. Most of us will know the story of Mary and Martha, two sisters. Jesus comes for lunch and and Martha's running around doing all the work that needs to be done, making sure it's a great lunch for the important guests. And uh, Mary's just sitting on her backside doing nothing. And after a while, Martha spits the dummy and says, Jesus, Look at my sister. She's a lazy wench. Get her up and get her helping me. Tell, say something. And Jesus says, Martha, Martha. Tries to calm her down by saying her name twice. Martha, Martha. You know, you're upset and you're worried about many things. But few are needed and only one is really important. And Mary has chosen what is better. She's just sitting at the feet of Jesus. You know, as I've reflected on my life, I actually think Jesus is wrong and Martha is doing what is better. I, I think it's better just to work harder to get things done. You know, I've had some times where I've just enjoyed the presence of God and God has changed something within me in a moment and he's given me clarity on something that I could not have worked out in a million years but he knew how to do it. And he knew how to restore something within me. Hard work and pragmatism was never going to sort it out. Just the presence of God. You know, I've had a powerful encounter with the presence of God as I sat on my own on a, on a veranda of a farm and wrote a book. Absolutely blessed. I experienced the presence of God, you know, sitting in an auditorium, you know, 10 times the size of this with 5,000 people and big, loud auditorium worshipping together. Just knew the presence of God changing something within me. There's a hunger for the presence of God within me. I'd love to see a growing hunger within us for the presence of God as a church. I've come to realize that Jesus was right, probably. And Mary has chosen what is better. Are you prioritizing the presence of God? Or are you thinking, if I just work harder, if I just get busier, if I just do more, things are going to get better. 
I'll tell you what's really helped me. Let me give you something really practical that's really helped me, and I'm going to continue to do it. Is I've just started reading a psalm every morning and writing a simple, heartfelt prayer or cry to God from that psalm. The Psalms are so, they, they are just heartfelt prayers. This, their hunger, we see particularly David's hunger for the presence of God. You know, as a deer pants for water, so my soul longs after you. God, I just want to know your living water within me. You know, I, I sat and patiently waited for the Lord and he picked me up out of the miry clay. He put my feet upon a rock and he put a new song in my heart. You know, just incredible, heartfelt cries for the presence of God. Or maybe, maybe there's something that you can start to do. Say, God, more than anything else, I want to know your presence. Thirdly, he's been restoring a, uh, a public confidence in the prophetic. You know, in Luke chapter 5, is one of my favorite stories. And, uh, you know, Peter, James and John are out fishing and they worked hard all night and they caught nothing. And, uh, but they're still disciplined guys. They're still hardworking guys. So they keep mending their nets ready for the next catch. Jesus wanders along, says to them, you know, uh, put your boat out a bit further into deeper water and you will uh, get a catch. And Peter is, is scratching his head. He's going, that doesn't make sense. This is not on Peter's radar. This didn't make sense to a seasoned fisherman. This wasn't how you caught more fish. This wasn't the right thing to do. It didn't make practical, rational sense. But eventually, Peter says, because you say so, I will do it. And you know the story, they caught the biggest load of fish they'd ever caught. Because you say so, I will do it. That only happened, that miracle only happened because they listened to the voice of Jesus. It was not going to happen until they went in the direction that Jesus told them to go. They couldn't see the miracle. There wasn't faith within them for the miracle. All they had to do was listen to the voice of Jesus, head in the direction he told them to go, do what he told them to do, and then the miracle happened. They had no concept that there were fish out there. You know, I, I recognised as I sat in a church in, uh, it was actually also called Gateway in Dallas. And I met with their campus pastors. I met with a guy who heads up all of their campuses, a church of 38,000 people and really organised and all sorts of you know, great things they're doing. But I heard them in, in four different contexts by four different people say, we planted that campus because God told us to. Senior pastor had a word that, uh, a, uh, that an abandoned baby was going to be left on Gateway's doorstep and you must adopt it. And it was the first time they'd ever had a church come to them and say, we would love to become a campus at Gateway. Now that, that's, that's happening right here, right now for us at the moment. But that wasn't the point. The point was I heard it so clearly from four different people in four different contexts, in big contexts and small contexts. That's why they did it. Not because it made sense. Not because it was the next practical thing to do. That's why they did it. About 12 months ago, I felt like God put this word in my heart. There's a church we were to plant two campuses at once. Didn't make practical sense. Didn't make rational sense. Those was words that, that God gave us that, you know, that Gateway was going to have twins. The twin churches were going to be planted at once. And I believed it. And that's why we're doing it. But, but I realized I, I wasn't confident to share that with everybody. I found other ways of justifying why we're doing it. So many lost people. You know, we need more churches. Churches are closing their doors around Australia. All true. There was such a similar word that I heard in another church called Gateway to the word that God had given me here for this Gateway. I thought, why do I not have that same confidence to say, because you say so, we will do it. That's enough. I realized I've, I've gotten so concerned or worried about the abuse of saying things like that. Or I've, I've, I've lost some confidence 
that in the midst of all that needs to happen in a church like this, that God can just say, that's what you've got to do. Be confident to speak that out. I tell you, God spoke to me really powerfully over these last couple of months. I want to be a because you say so kind of leader. I want to be, I want us to be a because you say so kind of church. We're, we're doing whatever God's calling us to do, not because it makes sense, not because it's needed, but because Jesus told us to do it. And what I've discovered, as you start declaring prophetically what God has said, and you start heading in a direction that God has said, that's when the miracles happen. You see, all miracles originate from the revelation of God, not the reason of man. Okay, it's only as you hear the word of God and you start to head in the direction of God that you actually see the miracles start to happen. God always had them there for you, but you can't see them until you take hold of that word and you start heading in the direction that God has given you. And some of you this morning, on a personal level, God's got a prophetic word sitting within you. There's a, a word sitting in there that, that, that you have allowed to die because the situation doesn't look like it can happen. And I tell you, there is power in declaring it to the right people, but there's power in declaring it. It'll boost your faith. It'll boost the faith of others. And you have to start heading in the direction of it. And then you'll see the miracles start to happen. Then you'll see the miraculous catch of fish. Then you'll see God provide in ways you can't possibly imagine or organize for yourself. Every miracle originates... In the revelation of God, not the reason of man. Some of you have got to take hold of the word that's within you. Declare it and head in the direction of it. Lastly, God's been restoring the joy of my salvation. If I was to sum up just one thing God did in this time, that's what I'd say. I've been in ministry for over 20 years, I've been in ministry at Gateway for 13 and a half years. I've been the senior pastor for nine and a half years. I've been incredibly blessed. I've seen God do so many cool things. And in that time, I think I've become a better leader, a wiser leader, slightly more competent preacher, and I'm grateful for all of that. But along the way, I realized I've lost the simple joy of being a child of God. I've lost the joy of just knowing I'm, I'm my father's child. I've been saved by Jesus. He's set me free. I've lost the joy of stepping out in faith and just, just ministering to people, you know, not worried about all that needs to happen, but just stepping out in faith with no idea what's going to happen next, just waiting for God's spirit to work. I've lost some of the joy of the ministry that I know God saved me for and called me to. In the last 10 weeks, God has been slowly, day by day, restoring the joy of my salvation. I've had some moments where I've just been overcome with joy that Jesus saved me, that he knows my name, that my name's written in the book of life, that one day I'm going to be with him forever. You know, sometimes you can preach about these things so much you forget the joy of it yourself. He's been restoring the joy of my salvation. The last week I had a way, I had the privilege of staying at a place down on the Gold Coast for a week and uh, I hadn't really thought about it or even considered it, but I went for a run every day uh, along the beach and uh, around the headland and after a couple of days I realised I was running past the very spot where God first called me to ministry at Gateway. I was running over the very bit of concrete. I'd uh, come up to speak at a young adults camp when I was living in Sydney. And on the, on the Monday, Easter Monday, Tim Hanna, who was a senior pastor at the time, asked me if I wanted to come up here uh, long term. And I originally said no, but, uh, but I just knew God was in it and he slowly worked on me. As I ran past that spot every day, it just dawned on me. It was a great weekend. It just dawned on me that I'm now as excited about the future as I was back then. 
I've now got the same joy of ministering to people now that I did 13 and a half years ago. God is restoring the joy of my salvation. And I believe he wants to restore joy in many people here today. I want you to think back. Think back to when you first got saved, how awesome it was. Or think back to the, to the time when you, you first, you know, God first used you to minister to somebody. And just the incredible joy it was of seeing God at work. You know, think back to when you first discovered the call of God on your life. You see, God, God never wants us to revert from a salvation that starts by grace and for it to become a, a life of works where we, we deserve what we receive. And nor does God ever want us to revert from a salvation and a ministry that started with joy and for it just to become mundane duty. And I tell you, God is able to restore what he started. Nothing else will, but God can. This is yesterday I decided to restore my driveway. This is what my driveways look like for the last 15 years. And uh, photo coming up. And uh, there's a, a friend of mine who's driven, uh, has, has driven in my driveway. And probably for the last two years, every time he's driven in, he says, you've got to borrow my gurney and, and give your driveway a go. I thought, there's nothing wrong with my driveway. What's, you know, what are you saying is wrong with my driveway? That's my driveway. He says, no, every time. He says, you've got you to get my gurney onto your driveway. So anyway, yesterday I thought, I'll, I'll take him up on it and, and I'll give him a go. You know, even though I didn't think there was anything wrong with it, this is what my driveway looks like now. You know, it's uh, apparently there was another colour under there. And uh, it's the first time I cleaned it in 15 years. My daughter, I'd worked all day, did the whole, around the whole house, right? Worked all day. I'm laying on a towel in my lounge room trying to kind of just uh, recuperate. At the end of the day, my daughter works, walks in who's been out all day. First words that come out of her mouth as she walks up the driveway... Dad, I don't like the colour you've painted our driveway. <laughs> She's not the sharpest tool in the shed. But uh, I said, you realise, you realise the old colour was dirt and grime and mould. She says, I don't care, I like the old colour. I wanted to get that water blasted. <laughs> I reckon there's some of us here. There's some of us here, you've allowed... I let my driveway get like that for 14 and a half years. Some of you have allowed dreams that God's put within you. Some of you have allowed your heart to get hard over the years with resentment and bitterness. Some of you have allowed joy just to keep fading out of your life. And you actually never really stopped to think there's something wrong. You've never actually stopped to think maybe God could restore what he started in me. And there's some of you here who've actually started to prefer what it's like to be old and weary and broken. You started to prefer just holding on to resentment and bitterness. You started to prefer just being cranky at the world and a bit cranky at God. You prefer the old and the weary, even though it's covered in dirt and grime. It's never the way God designed. I believe God is wanting to restore in you what he started. Some of you with a hard heart right now, just calling you back to a place of childlike faith. He's going to soften your heart as you talk to your dad. As you sit on your dad's knee and just let him minister to you, he's going to restore your heart. There's some of you that have got, you know, there's dreams and prophetic words that, that God has spoken into you. And because you can't see the miracle happening, because the situation hasn't changed, you've kind of let it die within you. God is speaking to you. He can restore that word he's given you. He can bring it to life. There's some of you that actually got to start declaring it and start heading in the direction of it. 
And some of you, like myself, have just got a fading joy. You just look back to the way you used to be so excited about worshipping Jesus. You used to be so excited about ministering to other people. And the joy is just not there in the same way. And you've gotten used to it. And God is wanting to restore the joy of your salvation. This is the cool bit. You know, what man has made, for us to restore it, it takes our blood, sweat and tears. It takes some work to restore old cars and old houses. But this is the the incredible bit. What, What God has started, only God can restore. And it was the blood, sweat and tears of Jesus that's enabled you to be restored today. To restore our broken relationship with God so that we can sit in our Father's presence and allow Him to minister to us. It was Jesus' blood, sweat and tears that took Him to the cross. That gave up His life so that we could have our relationship with God restored and He could restore us by His Spirit that He gives us one day at a time. It's as we sit in the presence of Jesus and we allow His Word and His truth to become truth within us that He restores us in a way that nothing else can. I'm going to ask us to stand this morning. Mark's going to come up and and, uh, lead us in a song. There's some of you here that this morning it's a beginning of a journey of restoration. God is saying to us as a church, I will restore what is old and broken and weary. I will make it new again. I'll make it new again. This morning, if, if you're here and, and you know there's just a, there's a hard heart that's built up within you and you need God to restore your heart, bring you back to that childlike dependence of faith. Well, there's a word that God has given you. Have you allowed it to die within you? And it's time to declare it prophetically. It's time, it's time to head in that direction and wait for the miracles to happen. If God's just restoring His dream within you. And there's others of you here who's just realized, I don't have the same joy as when I started. I want God to restore joy for any of this. You just want God to do a restoring work in you. I want Mark to sing over you. I'm going to pray over you. And I'm going to get a bunch of people to pray over you this morning. If that's you, just come. Just come as Mark starts to sing. Don't wait. Just come now. If you want God to restore your heart, restore your soul, restore your joy, restore your faith. Come on, just begin to come right now as Mark sings. I'll give you a few moments to come. Uh, there's, There's a few more of you need to come. Before I start to gather people to pray, I just want you to come. You know God's just restoring something within you. There's just a hope and a faith starting to build within you that God can restore what has become old and weary and broken. Come on, just come right now. I'm going to get some people to gather around you and stand with you in a minute. But just come, just come. Okay, what I'd love us to do if you're down here this morning, just, just begin to put your hands out, receive from God. Just receive from God. I'm going to get our prayer team and some others to begin to gather around you and pray. If you know these guys, love these guys, you love Jesus, just come. Just begin to speak. Just begin to speak life and faith and truth. You something you know is true about God. Something you know is true about the heart of the Father. Just begin to speak it over them. Come on, just come, gather around and just just begin to pray. Can I get anyone that's on the prayer team, anyone who just wants to come and pray, just begin to come. I'm going to pray and then I just want others just to keep praying, praying over you as Mark sings. Father God, God, you are good. You're a good dad. You're so kind. You're so gracious. You're so generous. Oh, God, I thank you that you don't treat us as our sins deserve, but you just love to bless. God, this morning, I pray that you would pour out a blessing on your kids. 
God, pour out a blessing on your kids. God, you love each one of these guys and girls, these sons and daughters. God, this morning in your presence, I pray right now that they would just know that you are present with them. They would know that you are gracious. They would know that you are generous. They would know that that you have put the family ring on their finger. They belong to you. Some of you need to take hold of that this morning. You belong to God. You're His kid. How great is the love the Father has lavished on you that you might be called children of God. And that is what you are. Take hold of it this morning. You're a child of God. He loves you. He'll never let you go. God, would you restore joy? God, would you restore hope? God, would you restore broken dreams? Breathe life and hope and faith into broken dreams this morning. God, would you would you give a faith within us to step in the direction you're calling us to go, waiting for a miracle to happen. God, restore faith this morning. Bless you, God. You're so good. Pour out your good gifts on your kids. Just continue to pray. Come on, if you see someone to pray for, just come and pray as Mark sings. going to take us a little while to get around and pray for everybody, but we will. So if you can be a bit patient, just we will get around and just pray for everyone uh, personally. Mark and the team are just going to continue to play over us. Just enjoy the presence of God. If you need to go and get your kids, you can go and get your kids. If you see someone down here to pray for, just come and pray for them. Come and stand with someone. Just come and speak life into someone, the life of Jesus. Take hold of the truth that you know Jesus has given us and just speak it into others. If you're here for prayer, just stay, just hang around, just enjoy the presence of God.